Okay, I think I'm done with the announcements, right? Okay, so again, just in the spirit of what this church is about, what this church is about is that the body is the church. This isn't a church with a bunch of pastors, and they do the work of the ministry, and people come, and it's wonderful, and all that kind of stuff. This is a church where everybody is participating. Every part of this body is essential. So one of the things that we do is, is that we raise up people quite often from our body to preach, to talk, to just bring what's on their heart. Um, Kevin Prowlis also leads worship. He's on our worship steering team. There's just a whole lot of things that he does. He's an excellent young man. I really love him. I've come to love his heart more and more. The more I've gotten to know him, I loved it from the beginning, and just more and more. And I think you're going to hear something today, because I've heard it, that you're just going to go, wow, you know, God is so good. So would you just give a big lake sound welcome to Kevin Perales. All right. I'm going to sit, if that's okay, like I did last time. How's it going, everyone? I feel like I'm, like, booming loud. Is that true? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So I'm Kevin. Um, the last time I preached here was, like, almost a year ago. So I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you were in here a year ago, but a lot has happened since then. Um, I started doing this last year for me has been just kind of try stuff and see what I'm passionate about and, and uh, just kind of play a little bit. And so I started doing a a podcast about video games, which for some people is like, wow, Kevin, that's like the nerdy of the nerdy. But for me, it's like I love doing a podcast now, and so that's a cool thing. I've been blogging, which is like uh, journaling, basic public journaling, essentially. Um, working on a card game. Like, I'm just doing all sorts of just like kind of dabbling here and there, and, and so it's been a lot of fun. Um, in case you don't know me, I uh, graduated from Life Pacific College, uh, which is the Foursquare Bible College in Southern California. Yeah. Represent. I, I think last time I wore like a life hoodie or a t-shirt, but I didn't this time, so sorry. Um, I am married. I've been married for five years, and Johanna, last time she wasn't here, she was traveling. Uh, she's doing some photography, but this morning she's here, and so I got to call her out. Hi, Johanna. <laughs> Woo! She does exist. I didn't make her up. <laughs> I, I know there was some concern there, uh, but yeah, there, there you go. Um, so... I want to start things out with a card trick, if that's okay. Um, and actually, I should probably get the cards out if I'm going to do a card trick. I like doing like magic and card tricks. It's one of the things that I've been doing for a long time, and I'm not very good at it. Like, I don't do parties or anything like that. I just, it's for sermons, really. It's the only time I ever do this. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna just going to shuffle these cards up. And sorry, I'm a little shaky. I haven't done a card trick in... Four years? Five years? It's been a long time. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to riffle through the deck, and I'm going to tell, I'm going to have someone tell me where to stop, and that's going to be your card. Okay? This is a pretty standard magic trick. So I haven't even started yet. <laughs> Tough crowd. All right. So tell me when to stop anywhere you want. All right. Anyway. Someone's got to say stop. <laughs> or else this doesn't work. All right. Ready? Here we go. All right. Right there? All right. That's a good place. So this is going to be your card. And I'm going to walk around the room so everyone can participate in this trick. So card, everyone make sure you know, this trick is only good if you remember the card. If you don't remember the card, this is just like, oh, okay, whatever, Kevin. So everyone gets to see, you guys see it? That's a card. <laughs> Some of you need your glasses, that's okay. 
Pastor Hannah, do you see the card? Okay, that's good. You guys see the card in the back? Live stream, you get to see the card. Yeah, participation. How's that? Can they see it? All right, good. good. Walking around this side of the room, you guys want to see the card? And card for you. All right. This is probably the only time this has happened at Lake Sam where someone just walks around the room showing a deck of cards. You see the card? Everyone knows the card, right? Except me, of course, because I can only see the back of it. Uh, cool. So sticking it back in the deck, going to shuffle it up, and I could do a lot of things with this trick. I could, whoops, I could drop the deck, which I've done before and isn't very fun. I could just kind of pull it out of the middle, and you guys would be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Or I could, I don't know, I've done this before. I've dropped the deck and just kind of picked up a card and it was your card. But I want to do something that will blow your mind a little bit. So I have here a dog tag because I'm cool, right? And so are dog tags. So here's what I'm going to do. What's that? You can't see the dog tag? This is a dog tag. Can you see it now? It's a chain, not a tag. Okay. All right. In Vancouver, I could have gotten away with that, but you guys won't let me. All right. So let's see if I can do something more impressive besides calling it the wrong thing. So here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Is that your card? Pretty cool, right? So here's the even cooler part about this. Thank you. Oh, I got applause. That's awesome. Let's see. This is kind of stuck to my piece here. I can actually, I could have shown you. All right. The trick is that if we want to pass that around, you can see that I've actually pierced your card with this dog tag. So here you guys want to pass it around, take a look at it. I just passed it through the middle, sir. I'm going to hope that that all gets around. So, so that's pretty cool, right? So when I showed that trick to my wife, because you have to practice it and make sure that it is, like, polished and stuff, I showed that, and I actually, like, and here's the dog chain with the card on it. She's like, okay. I'm like, that was your card, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, that was my card. <laughs> I... You picked a card at random, and I just made it attached to my, my dog chain thing, tag thing. It's like, yeah. Isn't that, look! <laughs> like, take a look at it! And she's like, looking like, oh, I guess that is pretty cool. I'm like, seriously? That was like, I, when I first saw that trick, I said, I don't care what I'm preaching on, I'm going to do that trick. <laughs> I'll find a way to make it work, because it is so cool to me. And so it actually turns out that what I have to say has to do with that card trick because as I said I could have just said pick a card okay is that your card or I could have just like done a little hand thing and went ten of diamonds ah and that would be all right but by doing this little dog tag chain thing and now you're passing around the room you're seeing that there's no tricks or anything that's actually attached to that I now have a necklace essentially that's really really cool right and I don't know if you're like me, but I find myself going through life trying to not just do the thing like, oh, card trick, all right, 
But I try and do something that's really cool. And I find myself pursuing this thing, this intangible idea called cool, right? And there's, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with being cool. I think it would be weird for us to be like, being cool is bad. That's awful. You should try and be not cool. I don't know what the opposite of cool is. Lame. You should try and be lame. But there is a certain problem when your primary motivation, your primary pursuit is the pursuit of cool. As an example of that, I recently joined a threefold, which if you don't know is a group of two or three guys or two or three girls all getting together and they just share life and they talk about how things are and they pray for each other and they hold each other accountable. And it's this really great group, right? So the group of guys that I have uh, to meet with every week, they're these like super masculine guys that like, when they talk about their weeks, they're like talking about real estate and motorcycles and making beer from homemade and, and eating meat, ah, right? Like super masculine guys. And so they go around the room and like, oh, how's it going? Oh, I made beer. Oh, I'm getting a motorcycle. Yeah. I'm watching sports. Ah. And they get to me like, hey, Kev, how's your week? I'm like, it's good. I made a podcast about video games. <laughs> like, that's, that's great, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, thinking of taking acting classes again. I haven't done it since college, so I'm a little nervous if you could pray for that. Because <laughs> that's a real issue, right? <laughs> totally don't fit in. I'm this, like, artsy guy. I do music. I do art. I do a, a video game podcast. Um, not the most masculine of things. So a couple weeks of this goes by, and it's a really weird feeling to be not masculine in a, with a group of really masculine guys. So... Eventually, weeks at a time, I'd, I'd go around, and they'd finally, Kevin, how's it going? I'd be like, good, very good, I'm doing fine. I'm like, really, what's, uh, what's going on? Uh, football, watching football. Yeah, I like football. I'm like, Kevin, it's May, there's no football. <sighs> um, sports, I like sports. And, and so eventually, I, I kind of get to the point where I'm like, okay, what I'm actually feeling, what I'm actually going through, that deep part of me, Let's just put that aside for a minute, because that's not really cool in this circle. There are other circles where that would be okay, and if you go to, like, a gaming convention, being a video game podcast is pretty sweet. But being in this circle, it's just not very cool to, to be doing those things. But So I found myself changing how I shared to this group of guys, which, if you know anything about a threefold and accountability, they can only hold you accountable for things that are true. So there, there's not a whole lot of point to this whole threefold if I'm not even going to be honest with myself and with them. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, we're going to have prayer. We're going to have Will Lees pray. And I, I'm going to be like Kurt and say, that is so awesome. Will Lees, everybody. He's on the steering team. He's on the worship team. He's a hipster guy. So go and pray for us and pray for another church as well. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you so much that um, you're a God who takes us as we truly are. God, you don't need us to pretend to be anything that we're not because you see you see through everything that we really are. And so, Lord, I just ask that um, this morning as we hear your word, that we would hunger and thirst for you. God, that it would be a word that would be like salt on our tongue, that we would need you to quench what it is that's lacking in our lives. And so, Lord, I just... I ask that uh, your words would come through Kevin, that we would hear them, and they would be planted deeply in our hearts. God, I pray for um, 
for Westminster Chapel um, just down the road from us. Lord, I just pray a blessing on them. Lord, I pray that you speak to that congregation and just um, light a fire in both our congregation and theirs just to serve serve the community well and to be a presence among non-believers here. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to look at what God has to say about this idea of being cool. And before I do, I want to do a little informal survey because we've been having fun with soap, right? Not like with bar soap, having fun with soap. But this idea of soap, we have it on the slide. I actually don't have a clicker, so I'm not totally relying on you. This is going to be great. And I also can't really see, so this is awesome. So soap, yeah, cool graphic, bam. Uh, so it's, a, it's, this is, wow, that's awful. There we go, soap. Woohoo! So soap is, the, is how we read the Bible, and it's this acronym that we're going to go into And this week's soap, I want to just get a survey in the room and see kind of where you think we're going this morning based on my introduction. So I think we did Psalms in the 60s-ish. Who thinks, Kevin, you're an Old Testament guy, you're a musician. We're definitely going in Psalms today. Show of hands, anyone? No, one person, awesome. Who thinks Acts Acts 2, uh, Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes down. Kevin, you must be going there. Anytime you get an opportunity to do that, that's where we're going. Anyone? All right, a couple people. Acts chapter 3, which is the whole uh, Jesus, or not Jesus, Jesus isn't an Acts, sorry. Um, Peter and, and John uh, standing before the Sanhedrin, uh, preaching uh, and being persecuted. Anyone? All right. Acts chapter 4, which I don't even know what Acts chapter 4 is. Yeah, that must be what I'm doing. <laughs> How about Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira? And how many of you are like, I don't even care? <laughs> yeah, all right. That's awesome. You, you guys are the cool ones this morning. <laughs> so I actually am going to be in Acts chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to it. Yeah, you were right if you raised your hand there. And uh, to set it up, I am going to start in chapter 4 in verse 32. So if you have your Bible, that's great. If not, I have it on the screen. And again, I'm totally dependent on you to make sure that That looks like what I'm saying. Um, So here we go. Uh, Starting in verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, and together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. I want to pause it really quick because this translation is kind of It doesn't give the full picture of this. We just read, with his wife's full knowledge. And you kind of get the idea that they're like getting ready for work in the morning. He's like, oh, honey, in case anyone asks, and no one's going to ask, but if they do, this is the price. I just sold the land. This is the price we got. I actually have this little extra piece here. Just don't tell anyone. Just tell them this is the price. That's kind of the idea we get here. But the actual word that is probably a better word is collusion. It's the idea of like, 
two people kind of coming together and being like, hey, let's do something uh, devious, dubious. Um, so this isn't like the husband is doing this weird, bad thing, and this wife is just kind of going along with it. They're both in it together, and they're both kind of equally accountable for this. So let's pick up in verse 3. Uh, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept some of, for yourself, some of your money? Whoa, let me try that sentence again. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So that's kind of a crazy story, right? And when we're doing soap, part of the, the point of this exercise is to look at something like this and go, God, what stands out to me? And, you know, there's a lot that stands out in this story. But when I read this passage for soap, what stuck out to me was in verse 4. So I have in the next slide, they should say soap, bam, Acts chapter 4, or Acts chapter 5, verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. So when I was doing my devotions, that stuck out to me. And I just asked myself, okay, God, why does that stick out to me? And so we took the S for the soap. O is observation. That's asking, okay, what do you want me to do with this, God? That's kind of a weird verse. And all of us in the room could read this chapter and come out with a different thing that God speaks. So this is just me, but this is just an example of what I got out of this when I was doing it for the soap. And I got, Peter basically in essence is saying, guys, no one's forcing you to do this. It's not like we had like a, a council get together and, and be like, all right, so you guys are going to be in charge of the worship team. You guys are going to be in charge of preaching. You're going to be in charge of making sure the money gets to where it needs to go. And you guys are selling your houses and giving all the money to them so they can distribute it. Right? If, if that was the case, all right, hold back a little piece for yourself. But, but that didn't happen. It was just they were all doing this awesome thing, and they decided to join in. So it's not like anyone made them do this. It's not like anyone held a gun up to their head and said, sell your money and give it to the poor. They chose this. And after they sold the land, it was, the money was still theirs. They could have said, eh, that's okay. I think I'll buy another piece of land, or I think I'll buy an iPad, or I don't know what they would buy. Um, in the first century, they buy the iPad. Um, so for me, what God was speaking to me was, in essence, he's, Peter is saying the right thing, which is giving money to, to help the poor, for the wrong reason, is the wrong thing. I know it's like, ooh, that's really deep, Kevin. But, but for me, that actually means a lot in how I serve and how I 
when I'm on the worship team, no one's making me do this, right? Kurt didn't come up to me with a gun and say, join the steering team now. <laughs> like a gangster, I guess. Um, and after, even if he did do that, he would have to also hold a gun up to the steering team and be like, have Kevin on the team. And, like, that didn't happen. I chose to join the steering team, and no one's making me serve, right? So to have a bad attitude about it is kind of silly. And to try and pretend like, I don't know, like I'm holding back a piece of myself for this, this worship thing is crazy. So that's where the application comes in, which is the next step, which is, all right, God, you've revealed this truth to me. How do I apply it to my life? And for me, it's, if I'm gonna do stuff, I gotta be all in, right? If I'm gonna lead worship, I can't just show up and expect God to do stuff. I have to put all of myself in that. And then the prayer part is, uh, it's a personal thing. It could be whatever. A lot of it is just, God, all right, that's cool. Don't do it or help me do it. Or in my case, I put, um, show me where I'm holding something back. So that's soap. So you could do this with any passage. Open up your Bible, read it, what sticks out, and there you go. Right? But I want to take it a little bit deeper because this isn't just soap. And I also want to take a drink of water. Oh. So this passage is kind of weird, right? It's kind of in a weird place, and it kind of bothers me. And I, I don't know if it bothers you like it bothers me, but this is kind of weird. Like, they, they do something awesome. They sell their land. They give some of it to the poor. But because they lied about it, God kills them. It doesn't seem totally normal. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you, there's nothing else in there like this story. You don't get like they uh, were preaching and they forgot their third point, so God just shot them down. Boom, gone. Like, you just don't see that anywhere else in the, script, in the, in the book of Acts. It's so weird, and it, it bothers me, and it should bother you as well. It just... There's a lot going on, and so I want to take a step back from this a little bit, and I started it in chapter 4, but if you go all the way back to chapter, the beginning of chapter 4, uh, and you read it through chapter 5, you see this, this Hebrew poetry that's called a chiasm, and you have on my next slide, uh, I'll, I'll show you what this is. Essentially, you have, it's called ABCBA, and so you have A, which is Christians testifying before the Sanhedrin, you have Christians coming before, and they're essentially being persecuted then the next step that happens is you have this believer's prayer um, and they are sharing their possessions and essentially I wrote, the church is being awesome. And for the first time in the history of the church, in the history of the Jewish people, there are no poor among them. That's amazing. And so we'll call that B. Oh, you're, you're getting ahead of me here. And then C is of course this Ananias and Sapphira story, this bizarre God kills them story. And then you go back, and we're back to miracles. And we're back to, look at the church being awesome. And people are coming, and they're being healed, and all this great stuff is happening. And the, so that's another B, you see that? And then you have another A, which is Christians are being persecuted yet again, and they end up going to prison. So you have, it's called a chiasm, because you have A, B, C, and you go back to B, and then back to A, right? Whenever you see this, and this is all over Scripture, the Hebrew 
writers loved to do this. It's, it's almost like an arrow, and you can, if you click through the next part of the slide, pointing to that middle part. It's, in, a, in essence, saying, look here, this is important. I'm about to show you something really important. This is the main part. And so, I don't know, that seems kind of weird. <laughs> There's a lot going on here, and you have essentially the church in its infancy being awesome. And that's really cool. There's a lot of, all the believers are sharing their stuff. There's miracles happening. And the temptation is, I want to be a part of that. That's really cool, right? Ananias and Sapphira are like, I want that. God is obviously doing something here, and I want to be a part of it. But it's really scary selling everything you have. It's a big risk, right? And so Ananias and Sapphira go on, okay, in case this whole God thing doesn't work out, we're screwed if God doesn't show up. So let's just keep a little piece for ourselves, just in case, right? No problem, right? If, if you're selling your house and giving a lot of money to the poor, that's a good thing. But, so the sin here isn't necessarily the holding anything back. It's the lying. It's, they, they came with this gift and said, yep, that's what my house cost. <laughs> yep, yep, I don't, nope, that's everything. And God doesn't like that, as you can see. <laughs> right? That's the understatement of the day. And so, why does this bother me so much? I think it bothers me so much because Ananias is me. There's a little piece of Ananias there. And maybe if you're honest with yourself, you say, okay, yeah, there's a little bit of Ananias in me too. Yeah, that, that temptation. I want to be cool. I want to fit in. I want to be a part of that thing that God's doing. But it's scary, and I think I'll just hold a little something back just in case. But I'm going to tell everyone that that's everything. And, you know, if this story were Ananias, like, killed somebody— and took his money and then gave that to the poor. All right, strike him down. I'm fine with that. Right? Like, if he's murdering people, yeah, sure. God can strike him down, and I, I'm actually okay with that. Or if the story were like, he uh, stole from the church and then gave the money back to the church to try and fit in, and God struck him down. All right, that's a little extreme, but that kind of makes sense. Right? Like, a little judgment happening. It, it kind of fits the crime. But in this story, you just have, he lies. And not even a big lie. It's like a little white lie, right? It's, yeah, that's everything. And God just, nope, you're done. The end. Game over. No continues, right? And so that's really scary to me. <laughs> and this last verse, that says, great fear sees the whole church. Yeah. There should be great fear. <laughs> it just doesn't seem right to me. And it's, I don't know, it just, it just it's, it's a little too ex intense, a little too extreme. And then I heard this story, and this is a, a really cool, well, it's, it's sort of cool. It's a, a story of a disease, uh, of a, it's called congenital analgia. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, because everyone knows what congenital analgia is, all the cool kids. So what it is, it's a disease where a human being can no longer experience physical pain. And that sounds pretty cool, right? Like, you get in a car accident, you don't feel it. That's pretty awesome. Or you, you hit your head on something, or someone punches you. I don't know why. Uh, you don't feel it, and that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. But the problem is, if you don't feel pain, you don't know when not to do something. So, like, 
if there's a burner and the burner's hot, you touch the burner, what happens? That hurts, so I put my hand away from the burner, right? If you don't feel physical pain and you just happen to kind of lean against the burner and the burner's hot, what happens to your hand? It melts off. I don't know what happens, but that seems like I've never done that before, but it, it's not pretty, right? Or I heard this story of a, of a girl who suffered from this disease, and she started having seizures, and she started uh, coughing up blood for seemingly no reason. She feels fine, no physical pain, goes into the doctor, and they, the doctors love these kind of patients because they don't have to numb them. They're just like, oh, let's chop open your stomach. Take a look. All right. No, no pain. No problem. And when they opened up her stomach, they found this, like, giant, I think it was three or four foot long tapeworm. Yeah. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> it's amazing. So they pull out this tapeworm, and they're like, this is the source of your problem. And had she felt pain, it would not be a four foot long tapeworm. There'd be symptoms, there'd be stomach aches, there'd be other things going on. But because she wasn't feeling pain, she never caught this thing until it got out of control. So you might say, in some ways, that pain is a gift. You can certainly say that pain is an indicator. Pain is that thing that tells me, don't touch the hot burner. Pain is the thing that says, deal with the tapeworm before it gets out of control right? So in this story, you, you say, this doesn't seem right. There's a lot of pain happening here. But in a sense, this pain is a gift. This is God telling the early church and telling us, this is what happens when you try and lie to the church, to God. This is what happens, in essence, when you're trying to lie to yourself, when you're trying to fit in, when you're trying to be cool, but you don't pay the full price. This is what happens. And it's not just that. This is God saying, this is what's currently happening to you and to me. This story isn't just something that happened in the first century. This is what happens if we're not going to be all in. This is what happens if, we're, if we lie. We die. And it, it's not as dramatic as this. It's not like I'm just going to fall over or hit the ground and you guys are going to watch someone carry me out. But this is what happens to my soul when I'm holding things back, when I am in a threefold and I just tell them that everything's fine when it's not, when I'm on the, the worship steering team and I just don't make time to do anything, right? I'm dying. So this pain is God's way of saying, wake up. If you touch the burner, it's going to hurt. If you keep your hand on the burner, it's going to cause permanent physical damage. Right? If you don't deal with the tapeworm, it's going to get out of control, and you're going to start having symptoms that you could never have imagined. So this story is a way of saying, you want to be a part of what God's doing? That's awesome. God is calling you to things. God is calling me to things. God is calling us to things that the world has never seen incredible, amazing, awesome things that only you can do. God created you to do something that no one else in this room can do. But if you're not going to be all in with it, if you're going to try and just fake it, it's not going to work. Eventually, your hand is going to burn off. 
eventually that tapeworm is going to grow too big. It's not going to work for you. So can you imagine what would happen if we started living this way? If we stopped faking it, if we stopped trying to fit in, if we just said, forget fitting in, I'm just going to do what God called me to do. I have it on the next slide. What if we decided to be all in when we served? Not only, I think, would it be fulfilling to you, because I don't know about you, but for me, I, I tend to, when I serve, I tend to kind of jump in and do a little bit of everything, and I tend to uh, kind of go a little overboard a little bit and overcommit a little bit. And what happens is the worship team is really fun, and it's really awesome, and I love leading worship. It's such a gift. But after the third week in a row of losing my Thursday night and my Sunday morning, I had to be here early. Oh, man. And then the schedule comes out, and, oh, I'm on the next week too. <sighs> All right, let's just come up with a set here. And it becomes this, like, burden, right? And it's just not very fun, and it's not very fulfilling anymore. But once I step back and go, whoa, 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 no one's making you do this, Kevin. When you sold the land, wasn't the money still yours? Like, you still have the choice, <laughs> and you chose to do this, and this is what God's asking you to do. No one's making you do it. And once I step and go, oh, yeah, leading God's people into his presence is one of the greatest blessings of my life. Wow, what an opportunity I have. Isn't that so amazing that of all people, God has chosen me, this great privilege, this great, to be a servant to the church? Wow. All of a sudden, Thursday night is like, I'm so excited. I get a practice with a group, and we get to uh, plan the things of what we're going to do to lead people into God's presence. On Sunday morning, showing up here at 8 o'clock is like, it's not, oh man, it's 8 o'clock and Starbucks isn't ready for me yet. Ah, uh, It's, wow, I'm actually leading people into God's presence. That's awesome. That's amazing. What a, that's incredible. And all of a sudden, the serving isn't a burden anymore. And it no longer is draining me. Quite the opposite, right? Now I'm walking away filled. Now I'm walking away um, feeling inspired. Now I'm walking away feeling, uh, okay, God, the next thing you have for me, I'm so pumped for it because this thing was awesome. And can you imagine what that would do to the people that you're serving when it's not a burden for you to serve anymore? Now they're no longer those needy people, right? Now they're no longer like, oh, I can't believe I have to go to this school and help out again. And uh, Now it's like, wow, these are people that God loves. Wow. These are people that God wants me to touch. Wow. These are people that God has called them to do things. And God gets to use me to help unlock that in them. Wow. That's amazing. Or you could pop in the next part of the slide. What if we were part of communi a community full of people who are all in? Can you imagine what, what this room would be like if we all said, yeah, it's not okay, life. It hurts. I'm going through stuff. I'm not going to pretend like everything's okay. I'm not going to pretend like I gave everything, but I'm holding something back. If Ananias and Sapphira came forward and, got, and said, guys, I'm scared. This thing's a risk. I, I, I actually, I, I know I told you guys this was everything, but I actually held a little bit of it back. If, if the conversation was open that way, what do you think would have been different? You think 
maybe Peter would have said, well, thanks for being honest, and I know it's a risk, but let me tell you it's worth it. Let me, let's pray for you. Let's, it's not even about the money, it's about your heart. And they worked through their issues together. This story might have ended quite differently. This story might have ended where Ananias was the role model for our faith, right? It, it right now is this terrible, traumatic experience in the church that great fear was brought onto the whole church. But it could have been so different if there was just honesty. Can you imagine what our community would be like if we came honestly, holding nothing back? And the last thing that might change, what if we're all in in our threefold? And threefold is the term that we use at Lake Sam to talk about this accountability, this uh, getting together and just sharing life together as a couple of guys or a couple of girls. But this could, this applies to, you could call it whatever you want, accountability group, a couple of friends grabbing a beer after work, whatever. But can you imagine what a threefold would be like if we lived like this? I have a friend, and I went to college with him, and we have an interesting relationship because when I was leading worship at a church in California, and he was my drummer. And at the same time, we were also on ASB, which is the, the student body, and he was the president, and I was the vice president. So in one context, I'm his leader, and he has to submit to me. In the other context, he's my leader, and I have to submit to him. And I'm really hard to be a leader for. <laughs> like, I make a really terrible vice president. Uh, and so it's this interesting mix. And so we, we graduate from college, and he stays in California, and I'm in, in Portland, or the Vancouver area. And we would call each other, and we were both serving in ministry, and it, because we had this interesting dual relationship where we had to work out uh, how to manage this and, and how I'm in charge, but then I'm not, and then we're in the dorms, we're just a couple of guys playing Halo, like, and, and trying to separate that. So we became really good friends, and we still talk on the phone, but uh, there's this, this moment we had in our relationship where we'd call each other up and say, how's ministry going? How's youth ministry going? And I'd say, it's going terrible. I hate youth ministry. It's awful. It's a burden. It's, it's ugh. Every, every Wednesday morning, I wake up dreading it. And then every Wednesday night after youth group's done, I get that nasty pit in my stomach. Like, oh, I have to come up with something for next week. I hate it. I would never say that to anyone in the church. I'd never say that to the youth, especially. <laughs> uh, sorry if you're under 18. <laughs> um, and, but I was just able to be honest and real with him. And instead of him saying, oh, well, I'm a youth pastor too, and it's going great. <laughs> Let me tell you about how I'm growing my church, and we just pour out on our kids, and they love each other, and they love Jesus. And like, he goes, yeah, it's hard for me too. And we pray for each other. And the beautiful thing about it is I would, we'd hang up, oh, that's great, thank you. And I'd get a text message from him on, on Tuesday afternoon and say, hey, Kev, I was praying for you, and God spoke to me this. And it would be like, oh, that's interesting that he said that because I was just thinking about my sermon and that little piece is exactly what I needed to hear. Or I'm about to call this youth up and I have no idea what to say. And you just said something that impacts how I'm going to have that conversation. Or I'd be praying for, for my friend Seth and, and God would say something to me that was just totally random. And be like, so I'd, I'd text him or call him and be like, hey, I was praying for you and I felt like God said, Burgerville? I don't know if that means anything to you. And he'd be like, 
wow, that's really interesting that you said that because we're thinking about moving to Portland where the Burgerville is. Like, it's just it's like crazy stuff, right? I know. <laughs> My wife is shaking her head like, Kevin, that's stupid. <laughs> and partially saying, man, I kind of want Burgerville for lunch. <laughs> but that's what happens if you're willing to be real and willing to be all in, is God shows up. And the, that threefold situation just becomes something amazing. So I want to end with this C.S. Lewis bit. So C.S. Lewis is amazing, and you should just read everything he does, because everything he does is amazing. So he gave this address to, uh, I believe it's Cambridge or Oxford, or University of Highly Esteemed in England. Um, yeah. <laughs> good sell, Kevin, good sell. Um, so he's giving this address to these the graduates who are ready to do life, who are the top of their, it's an esteemed college, and, and he kind of gives them advice, and it, this, is, this idea is called the inner ring. So I, I recommend that if you, after you're done eating lunch, whatever, uh, Google this, because this is amazing. I'm only going to read a small snippet of it. But the idea is, he says, as you go through life, there are these, and I haven't, it's not this yet. So as you go through life, you're always tempted to, to, be a part of this thing called the inner ring. And it's this elusive idea of if, I, uh, if you're a member of it, you don't talk about it. If you're on the outside, you don't mention it to other people on the outside because that proves that you're not on the inner ring. If you want to be a part of it, you don't tell someone you want to be a part of it because that would just destroy you. And after you become a part of this inner ring, you find that there's another inner ring that you want to be a part of. And so he talks about uh, there are, to, as he addresses this room, he says, okay, none of you want to be terrible people, probably. And there's no one in this room that characterizes themselves, he uses the word a scoundrel. But when you have these conversations, and no one's, no one's going to come up to you and say, hey, I got an idea, you should kill a bunch of people, right? You should rob a bank. That's a great idea. It's more subtle than that. The quest for the inner ring drives you to just do a little compromise here, little thing there. And if you want to be part of the inner ring, you'll do the thing. Because, and I don't think he says it in this quote, but he says to uh, have nothing to do on a Saturday because you're too busy is okay, but have nothing to do on a Saturday because you just have nothing else to do is too much. A, a person can't handle that. So this is his conclusion. He says, the quest of the inner ring will break your hearts unless you break it. But if you break it, a surprising result will follow. If in your working hours you make the work your end, you will presently find yourself all unawares inside the only circle in your profession that really matters. You will be one of sound craftsmen, and other sound craftsmen will know it. This group of craftsmen will by no means coincide with the inner ring or the important people or the people in the know. It will not shape that professional policy or work up that professional influence which fights for the profession as a whole against the public, nor will it lead to those periodic scandals and crises which the inner ring produces. But it will do those things which that profession exists to do and will in the long run be responsible for all the respect which that profession in fact enjoys and which the speeches and advertisers cannot maintain. In case that's like way up here, basically what he's saying is if you stop trying to be cool, if you stop trying to be a part of that inner ring and you just try and do a great job, you'll find yourself in this curious inner ring 
that you've never asked for, that you can't get out of, that is more important than the inner ring. Then he goes on and says, and if in your spare time you consort simply with the people you like, you'll again find that you have come unawares to a real inside, that you are indeed snug and safe at the center of something which, seen from without, will look exactly like an inner ring. But the difference is that its secrecy is accidental and its exclusiveness a byproduct. And no one was led thither by the lure of the esoteric, for it is only four or five people who like one another meeting to do things that they like. This is friendship. Aristotle placed it among the virtues. It causes perhaps half of all the happiness in the world, and no inner ring can ever have it. In other words, if we'd stop trying to be cool, if we stop trying to fit in, if we'd stop trying to be a hipster, and we just hang out with people that we like, if we just do the things that we enjoy, we'll find ourselves in this thing that looks suspiciously like cool. But if we're going to pursue the cool, we'll never hit it. We'll find ourselves in a, in a place where the only thing that we could possibly hope to achieve is compromise. And as you, and you can see, that didn't work out very well for Ananias. So Lord, we just come before you and would you search our heart right now? I know in me is this intense desire to be cool. It's this intense desire to pursue things that will make me look good. And if I follow that to its natural end, I will find only death. And I have a feeling that I'm not unique in that, God, and that if, if we were to do a poll of this room, I think all of us, to a certain extent, either find ourselves pursuing cool or wanting to pursue it. And I just pray that uh, you would break that in us, God. Lord, that you would call us to something greater. That you would call us to be uh, good at what we do, Lord. And as we seek you and as you speak to us about what those things are, about what you've created us to do, about what you've called us to do, Lord, I just pray that we pursue that first. That we pursue you first. And that you'll reward us with this thing that looks suspiciously like cool. Lord, we need you. Lord, I can't break this curse by myself. Lord, I can't just stop trying to fit in. I need you to help me. Lord, would you show us that pain is a gift? Would you show us that we need to be all in Lord, no one's making us do this. No one's forcing us to follow you. Lord, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. And so would you help us do it with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. By him standing up here and talking about that being cool isn't cool, that being after the Lord in fullness is cool, that going after cool will never get you to cool, but that going after the Lord in, with everything that you've got will bring you to a place that will transform you to a place 
to where you don't even care about cool, and people that are dying will look and say, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Somebody that actually cares about something that's actually important. Because I care about all these things that aren't actually important. And I really care about them. How do we get free of it? You go after the Lord with all your heart. And it just makes you so cool. I think you're really cool. <laughs> you never heard my podcast. <laughs> he said you never heard my podcast.